0: Thank you again for joining another episode of the Clay County beacon podcast. Today I have with me Mike Taylor, who is running for sheriff here in Clay County, Mr. Taylor. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and coming on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you want to be Clay County's next sheriff.
1: Well, I started my law enforcement career back in the late eighties working in Polk County as a deputy sheriff where I grew up. Uh, I, my hometown was Lakeland. Uh, I've been a patrol deputy, traffic homicide investigator, property crimes detective, persons' crimes, sex crimes, homicide, worked street-level drugs undercover, mid-level drugs undercover, and organized crime. In uh, the late 90s, I was recruited by FDLE as a special agent and select, to leos. Uh, under Governor Childs, McKay, and Bush. Uh, following my tour of duty at the mansion, I transferred to Miami and worked undercover money laundering and drug smuggling in inter- led a statewide gang task force, and uh, was a member of the SWAT team, eventually the team leader on our counter-assault team. When I was promoted to special agent supervisor, uh, I was selected to lead the uh, violent crime squad, the white-collar crime squad, and the major drug and money laundering squad in the Jacksonville region. And of all the 13 counties that were uh, under my supervision, our family chose Clay County to raise our children. We love Clay County, fell in love with it. Uh, and we've got three sons that are Eagle Boy Scouts. Uh, they did their Eagle Project at the Clay County Fairgrounds. We painted the sanded and painted the hot iron fences at the entrance. We uh, painted the bases of all of the, the lights out in the, the field for parking. And we sanded and, and repainted all of the picnic tables that everyone eats on. Uh, we, we just fell in love with Clay County, we love Clay County. Our, our family's been a family of service uh, our entire lives. Uh, we lived in Fleming Island Plantation. I was the first resident elected to the CDD board and then the first resident elected as the chairman of the CDD board while serving as a professional police officer. In uh, 2009, the state attorney in the seventh circuit asked me to come to work for him and uh, part of his requirements uh, he required me to live inside his circuit, so we had to leave Clay County. And uh, very honestly, the reason I want to be the sheriff of Clay County is because I see a significant need for leadership and integrity, and I love Clay County, and um, I'm yearning to bring my family back home.
0: All right, that's, that's good to know. Uh, um, so tell me a little bit about... Let's say, you know, you're elected sheriff to Clay County. What, what's your overall plan for what the sheriff's office would look like under Mike Taylor's leadership?
1: Well, I've published my, my strategic plan on our website at Uh We will streamline the process. Uh, the incumbent sheriff has hired over 100 civilian support staff since becoming the sheriff, uh, which gives approximately 200 civilian support staff, and an agency smaller than St. John's County, a neighboring county, that uh, only has 70 civilian support staff. So, I'm concerned at the at the amount of fluff under the current administration. Uh, I will review every person, every position, and every program uh, in that department. And if the person's not the right fit, then uh, we'll put the right person in the position. If the position is not required or is not functioning to its fullest potential, we'll either do away with the position or we'll tweak it until it is functioning the way that it should. And the same with programs. If the programs are not functioning or can do better, then we will either do away with them or we will tweak them so that we get a maximum potential from uh, from every position, person, person and program in the department uh i'll run the department like i do a business
0: interesting um yeah i've heard a lot of people talk about the the sort of administrative positions uh within the, the current administration and i'll be honest i don't i don't have a whole lot of details on it but that that's the thing that comes up not just from people running for office but you know the the general people of clay county talk about you know uh, public public relations staff and all sorts of different things. So it's interesting, you know, I hear a lot of people saying that there's probably some fat that could be trimmed there. What do you feel like are some other areas of opportunity uh, looking at the county from uh, the sheriff's perspective? Is there anything else you feel like, uh, you know, needs to be addressed or maybe could be done better?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I will introduce a stratified policing model of uh, problem solving analysis and accountability. Uh the stratified policing model is the combination of problem-oriented policing, uh, hotspot policing, comp stat, and community-oriented policing. Uh, basically, to, to reduce it into very simple terms, uh, sergeants will meet with their deputies every day to discuss their calls for service, critical incidents, problems they're having in their area of responsibility, what they've done right, what they can do to improve. Lieutenants will meet with their sergeants at least weekly, and uh, then the captains or chiefs will meet with their their lieutenants and will prepare. They will prepare reports that I will discuss with them monthly and quarterly to analyze again every person, position, and program in the department to make sure that we're doing the absolute best we can possibly do. Uh, this creates buy-in from from the lowest level in the organization because. I'm not just responsible for answering the calls that I receive. I'm responsible for the outcome. I'm responsible to, to report back to my sergeant as a deputy. This is what I did. and and The sergeant's responsible to tutor and to mentor their deputies so that we increase the level of professionalism and, and the experience that we lose through attrition. Uh, our, our best uh, way to, to uh, retain that experience is to actually provide a program whereby deputies are mentored by experienced deputies. And and this stratified policing model gives us that approach.
0: Would there be any opportunity talking about talent that you lose? um, I I know that there is at least amongst the the handful of deputies I've had the pleasure of speaking with. um, There there is a perceived problem that the, the pay in Clay County for deputies is lower than some of the surrounding counties. And it's hard to keep, tenured staff, experienced staff on hand. Um, You talked a little bit about trimming the fat from the administrative uh, ranks within the department. Is there any thought given, you know, have you given any thought to shifting some of those funds to better compensate the deputies that, that are, you know, that maybe we're losing to other counties?
1: Absolutely. In fact, I believe I'm the only candidate who's published my support, open support, for a career step pay plan. Uh, We've got to improve the quality of life and the pay for our deputies. Uh, In exchange, we'll expect our deputies to raise the bar just a little. Through stratified policing, we'll prove and justify to the community that the deputies are worthy of these pay increases because of the increased ability that they have, the increased training they've received. Uh, I will implement an internal training model. Clay County doesn't have the budget to send all of their deputies schools across the country to to enhance their skills. but what we can do is increase in-house our training. I wrote the major drug and money laundering investigative manual for the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. I introduced the uh, training model uh, in the Florida Department of Law Enforcement that became the model for police academies across the state of Florida, uh, scenario-based training. Uh, every police officer that goes to a police academy encounters in, in scenario-based training. That, that, that was a product of what I introduced to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement as a special agent supervisor in charge of high liability training. Uh, I was concerned that some of the agents that we hired didn't have the expertise in certain areas where they needed it. So I, I addressed the problem. I wrote a, I wrote a manual to, to teach it, and then I started teaching it. I taught thousands of police officers uh, th- these uh, model. Uh, I'm, I'm the only candidate running for sheriff that's recognized by the courts as an expert in racketeering, money laundering, historical drug conspiracies, and white collar crime. Uh, so we'll train in-house our trainers. Our trainers will deliver internal training to raise the standard for our deputies. And by reducing the, the fat, we will increase the bottom line so that we can fund career step plans and pay our deputies, our corrections officers, and our dispatchers better pay, uh, better pay that they deserve uh, and and need. Uh, My whole focus is going to be on what can we do to make the sheriff's office the absolute best it can possibly be
0: and therefore
1: be able to serve the community the best it can possibly serve
0: interesting that that's good you know good good to hear um let me let me flip the script on you a little bit what do you from your perspective what are some things that the you know sheriff's deputies the sheriff's office as a unit is is currently doing well
1: well they do a pretty good job with street level drugs and they've done a very good job uh on social media promoting that they're fighting drugs the problem is that they're only fighting street level drugs uh you recall I wrote the major money laundering investigation manual for for the Florida Department of law enforcement I've taught thousands of police officers and commanders from from police officers to command staff and agencies across the state of Florida how to fight drugs a uh, street level unit is only a part of it they do a, a very very good job at that but unless we target the money couriers and the drug couriers and unless we target the people behind the scenes then it's it, I I would liken it to something on a single cockroach instead of eradicating the entire nest. As a sheriff, I'll divide the drug unit. First off, we'll increase the size of the drug unit, and then I'll divide it into three separate units, but cohesive units, a street-level unit, a mid-level unit, and an organized crime unit. The street-level unit will do much of what the public has already seen, and then some, and fight street-level drugs. We'll work to put folks into programs, uh, court-supervised programs to help them get off of drugs. We'll also cultivate uh, confidential sources. Those confidential sources we will use to work mid-level drug investigations and target the suppliers and the money couriers. And then behind the scenes, organized crime detectives will work the big picture, the, the, the money folks behind the scenes that never touch the money or the drugs uh, that go largely undetected In local agency investigations, we'll use force multipliers by by collaborating with DEA, SELE, the Secret Service, FBI, so that we can gain their money and their bodies as force multipliers. Uh, We'll also collaborate with the Orange Park Police Department, the Green Coast Streets Police Department, and the newly created School Police Department. Uh, We've got to share intelligence and work together county has a violent crime problem, a drug problem, and a gang problem. We've got to address it once and for all. Uh and, and and as your sheriff I will.
0: So um I think that's you know that that's good. It's interesting. You give me a lot to think about. Um there is a perception amongst people that I talk to anyway and I don't know, you know I don't speak for everybody, right? But I know uh, a lot of folks that I talk to there's a perception that violent crime is on the rise. Um in the County um, is in your mind. Is it, is that mostly it, Well, I guess in your mind, a, do you, do you think that that's the case? And B if so, do you think that that ties into the drug and gang problem that you just talked about a moment ago?
1: Absolutely. I told you that I, I worked undercover money laundering and drug smuggling in Miami. I was a member of the SWAT team and the counter assault team leader. While in Miami, we worked undercover reverses with home invaders, drug dealers that were predisposed to do home invasions and steal the drugs and money from other drug dealers, believing, well, who are they going to call to report that they got their drug money or their drugs stolen? Yeah. You know, who's going to report that to the police? Uh, we had informants that would work our local bars and establishments. We identified targets. Every one of the targets had a violent history, violent criminal history in their past with a firearm we required our informants to personally see the firearms on the body of our target and verify that they were predisposed to commit a home invasion. Then we, through the informants supplied the address of a warehouse or a residence that we controlled that had fake walls or, or dummy windows, dummy ceilings. And when the bad guys came into the residence or to the warehouse, believing they were going to encounter folks protecting drugs, to steal their drugs and money, they met us. It was a game that we played for keeps. And we took these violent criminals off the streets. When I see home invasion in Oakley Plantation, I shudder to think that's North Florida. I shudder to think that's the community where we chose to raise our children. Violent crime, drug crime, and gang activity is upon us. And if we don't act now and decisively with someone who has real experience in fighting these crimes, it's coming and it will overtake the
0: community. So just to be clear, make sure I'm understanding you, uh, you think that the the home invasions in the Oakleaf area are are more than likely tied to, to drug and gang activity?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: That's what you always hear from people. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no law enforcement officer by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But so it's one of those things where to me, it's where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, how do you, you know, there, there's this stigma. Um, I, I guess I'd like to know from your perspective, somebody who has experience in law enforcement, we're told the public is told that in communities where drugs become prevalent and gang violence and drug violence overruns the communities that the people who aren't involved are, are terrorized by the people who, who are doing the crime, selling the drugs. And that's why a lot of times there's hesitancy amongst the general populace to cooperate with uh, law enforcement agencies when they come in, because they don't feel like the law enforcement agencies can actually protect them from the criminals. How do you, how would a sheriff's office run by Mike Taylor, Incentivize people to to work with police to to get the people who are doing these violent crimes out of the community and off the streets.
1: But we've we've got to start by restoring the trust of the public in law enforcement. Uh, I, I'm, I'm I realize it's somewhat a little off topic, but but not so much. Uh, much of the public has lost trust in law enforcement because of law enforcement's bad behavior. Uh, we cannot be hypocrites. as as police officers so i'll leave it at that because you may have another question that takes us down this path a little later but but it has to start with trust between law enforcement and the public secondly the public has to to understand with that trust that we're really going to do something you know i mentioned earlier that we can take street level drug dealers off the street but they're just going to be replaced with another street level dealer or user right that's not really fighting crime so when the neighbor calls and says you know, these kids are selling drugs down the street and you arrest the kids well tomorrow they're out and the next day or the next week they're replaced by somebody else right? you've got to, to target the distributors you've got to target the money couriers. so that that's part of it the next part of it is, is very honestly with, with my street level unit when citizens call anonymously to report drug activity in the neighborhood someone will appear in that neighborhood that evening knocking on the door And I'm sorry, Mr. Allen, we got an anonymous tip that there are drugs being stolen, uh, being sold out of your residence. You wouldn't be selling drugs out of your residence, would you? I didn't think so. You wouldn't mind if we come inside and take a look around, would you? Now, Mr. Allen, it's your constitutional right to tell me that you don't want me to do that. And that's okay. You know, you let me in. I find the drugs. You go to jail. You don't let me in. Well, Mr. Allen, you now know who I am and I now know who you are. And I'm going to be at the end of the street. And I'm going to find a legal reason to stop every person that comes and goes from your house for the next week, ten days, month, year. We're going to find them. Your your activity, your drug activity is not welcome in our community. And so you actually do it. You right. set your, your street unit up, and you target these folks. You find a legal reason to stop them. You find the drugs. You get the search warrant. You work your way back into the house. But you see, here's, here's the problem. The biggest problem with sheriff's Office today. Most of the time, that's where the investigation starts. Everybody high-fives, writes their report, bad guys go to jail, they bond out, they're back in the streets, and that's the end of it. We've got to start there with the mid-level units working into the, the deeper organizations. Fifteen years ago, I'll give you an example. Fifteen years ago, I brought my drug unit from FDLE into Orange Park. We bought two ounces of cocaine off of a car dealer in Orange Park. I sat in his living room, showed him my gold badge and said, I haven't decided whether I'm going to take you to state court or federal court. It all depends on what you decide to do next. Now, I'm going to testify before the judge that, you, that I gave you an opportunity to cooperate. And it's your constitutional right to decide to cooperate or not. You're going to decide how I testify. What do you want to do? He says, I think I'm going to cooperate. So we called the supplier and the supplier brought us a hundred pills of ecstasy. Same scenario. And their supplier brought us a thousand pills of ecstasy. Same scenario, their supplier bought us 5,000 pills of ecstasy. The next level up, we ordered 10,000 pills of ecstasy from the Asian triad, Asian organized crime smuggling ecstasy into Orange Park 15 years ago. Now, that startles me and did 15 years ago. But when's the last time you heard of a drug investigation of that magnitude in play County? And I would submit to you. It's not because it's not there; it's there. It's just not being investigated.
0: Is it? Is it possible that it's you know being investigated and they're just not publicizing it? I mean, I, I like I, I don't know. Like I'm I'm a novice when it comes to that, so. But no, listen. With
1: all due respect, and I, and and let me make sure I say this: my comments are not in any way, shape, or form uh, intended to to just my brothers and sisters in law enforcement that are doing exactly what they've been told. They just need to understand under my administration, they're going to have better pay, better equipment, better staffing, and and better support to actually go work these cases the way that they are intended to be worked. With the media hounds that we have as, as the sheriff now, do you or anyone honestly believe that a real major case with drug dealers from the from southeast asia would not be all over the news with folks taking the bow i mean because i i don't yeah good point i believe uh, very honestly that the the plain simple fact is we're too busy worried about the next camera opportunity rather than fighting drugs that's really as simple as it gets
0: yeah and one of the big problems that you have too if you look too far into those um you know social media publicized arrests and you know the 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 interactions where they're boarding up windows and spray painting them. A lot of those charges don't appear to actually stick. Right. And I, and I'm, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it doesn't seem like a a whole lot of people are ending up in, in jail or or with a lot of repercussions for having been arrested.
1: You're right. I, I pulled the stats from January to March of this year, from January to March, there were 72 drug related arrests and over 36 of them were dropped. Now, some people will say, Well, that's the state attorney's office fault because they won't prosecute. Let me share something with you that's very important for you and the public to understand. Okay. And and again, I've taught this for I, I've been a cop for thirty-two years. I've been teaching this for the better part of twenty five. Okay. There there's I think four felony judges right now in Clay County. There's five felony prosecutors. How many how many cases do you think each one of those prosecutors receives on a monthly basis?
0: I have no, I have no idea to be honest.
1: <laughs> I, 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 I submit to you that it's well over a hundred per month. Okay. Now here's the trick question. How many of those cases do you think they take to trial or how many trials do you think they take a year to trial? How many cases does the average felony prosecutor take to trial each
0: year? The pessimist and, in and me wants I to honestly, say that that's a, a low number. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. let me tell you this as a prosecutor, you are a rock are if you take 12 to 15 cases a year to trial. So let me help the, the general public understand this, okay? It's not the state attorney's office fault. It's part of the criminal justice funnel. The bad cases get sifted out. The bad cases get dealt away. They take the, the best cases with the strongest possible outcome to trial so that we can get convictions and make a difference in the world. If a police officer wants their case to be that special one, then they better do their job. That's where we raise the bar. That's what I've been teaching for the better part of 25 years, raising the bar and and making sure that our case is the one that we don't have to worry about whether it goes to trial or not because they come in and plead guilty straight up. Now, I told you I'm a racketeering expert. Most cases that I've worked in racketeering, my defendants are in in, in making proffers. To the prosecutors and pleading guilty straight up to 10, 15 years in, in state prison, straight up, because of the time that they're looking at getting if they don't. As a sheriff, I will use and, and we will work with our deputies to teach in the organized crime unit the benefits of the racketeering statute. And we will use the racketeering statute to disrupt criminal behavior and dismantle criminal organizations in Clay County.
0: All right, let me ask you a little bit more of a radical question, right? Um, sure. The, the stance that most people take is is very similar to what you're taking, is we have to combat drugs and drug-related crimes aggressively. So I want to sort of play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, the war on drugs started, you know, decades ago, um, and it was stated then that we were going to eradicate drugs and try to do all the things that you're talking about doing now. From a layman's perspective, and that's, you know, what I am when it comes to this sort of thing, It appears to me that drug use is either as prevalent or more prevalent than it has ever been, and that essentially drugs are winning the war on drugs. Is there any space in your mind to consider things like, especially with drugs like marijuana, maybe ending the war on marijuana, making that legal? Does that, is there any room there where ending the prohibition on certain drugs would then make some of the crimes that are associated with those drugs being prohibited go away?
1: Great question. Uh, listen, I, I'm going to tell you this as the sheriff, my major focus will be on drugs like fentanyl, ecstasy, uh, methamphetamine, cocaine, heroin. That's where my major focus will be. But I am not someone to throw in the towel on the dangers of marijuana. Now, I do see and understand the push to legalize recreational use of marijuana, and I'm opposed to that. I will say that I'm nobody to tell a doctor what drug they think is appropriate to prescribe a legitimate doctor, what drug they think is appropriate to prescribe to someone with cancer or uh, PTSD or or any other uh, of the enumerated authorized clauses that will allow a doctor to prescribe marijuana in certain forms. But uh, I will tell you this, as a baby detective working homicide in Polk County, I worked the first case of a 17-year-old boy that the state of Georgia tried to put in an electric chair. He'd smoked a marijuana joint laced with Jack Daniels alcohol. He stole a pickup truck, and inside that pickup truck was a firearm, either under the seat or in the glove box. He drove into a convenience store in Georgia to do a gas drive-off, but he wanted some soda and some Skull tobacco. And so he walked inside, not in his right mind, and instead of walking out with the Skull tobacco and the soda, he reached across the counter and he shot the lady convenience store clerk three times. And I watched that video over and over and over again. And as she cried in pain, I cried as a detective, that poor woman left three children and a husband behind. And that 17-year-old boy, who for all practical intents and purposes might have been otherwise a decent young man, wasn't thinking in his right mind. And he killed that woman when all he intended to do was a gas drive off. I sat in an interview room with him as he confessed his soul to me and told me what he had done why he thought he'd done it, and what he'd been doing that led up to it. No, sir, I'm not in favor of legalizing any type of drug that that, that is psychedelic in nature and that can alter someone's mood. The marijuana today is 10 times more potent and powerful than the ditch weed that that maybe our parents or grandparents smoked, not mine, but some folks did, uh, in the 60s. Uh, the, The marijuana that's grown today is extremely potent. And, uh, so I, I wouldn't say that there's any room in, in my mind to openly support legalization, but I'll also tell you this. Uh, my role as a sheriff is to, in, or a police officer in general, for that matter, is to enforce law. Uh, our legislature is in charge of passing laws and the Supreme Court's in charge of interpreting law. Uh, so should the, the good people of our state or nation Ever decide that they want to legalize it, and the legislatures pass such legislation, I and mean, it would be my responsibility to enforce the laws that they pass. And I hope that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I'm, I've, I've got strong opinions about this because I do believe what you your, the premise of your question. You know, it seems that drugs are just as prevalent, maybe even more prevalent than they were, and that we're fighting a losing battle. Uh, Mr. Allen, Josh, uh, we are fighting a losing battle uh, because the moral fabric of our society is being ripped to shreds. But I look at it just like uh, the fight between uh, Republicans and Democrats in, in many uh, circumstances or free enterprise and communism. You know, how many of today's kids, how many of today's millennials won't sign up for if it's free, it's for me, you know, give it to me, give it to me, and they'll take everything. It, it, and not realize that that money had to come from somewhere. A government that has the power to give you everything has the power to take from you everything. And so, yeah, I'm not ready to give up in that fight either. Right. Uh, I, I'm maybe I'm old school, but I believe right is right and wrong is wrong, and and it's worth the fight. Society is worth the fight. Our future is worth the fight. I do believe that if we were to legalize drugs, it would continue to rip apart the, the moral fabric of America. Uh, I, I'm not in favor of, of prohibition, but let me use this as an example. How many DUIs would we have on the streets if alcohol was still illegal? How many drunken brawls would we have at bars or inside homes would we have if alcohol was still illegal? How many fathers would waste their money on alcohol instead of supporting their family if alcohol was still illegal? You know, and I, I, again, I'm not saying that we should do away with alcohol. I'm saying that certainly even in the days of prohibition, people drank anyway. And if, if it were to become illegal today, it would not stop people from drinking. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you look at statistics, How many more do we have today because it is legal? And so if you look at those same types of statistics, it's not how much drug use we have now. It's what would what's the propensity for it to increase exponentially. I don't want the the clerk serving me a hamburger, the man or woman building me a car, the man or woman building the building next door to me in, in, in downtown. I don't want them to be high on the effects of marijuana that they smoked last night. Uh, yeah, you know, and I, I certainly don't want a young man driving my daughter or uh, a, a young lady driving my daughter or son in the car under the effects of a marijuana cigarette they smoked the day before. Uh, we, we've got to be very careful. This is a slippery slope that, that some in our society want us to go down, but I think it's a very dangerous one.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate your thoughts there, right? Like, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had. Um, around marijuana and and i'm always curious to see where other people stand on it um i want to shift gears a little bit but i want to i want to actually talk about something that you mentioned it's the sheriff's office job to enforce the laws so last few years in the state of florida there have been uh what are you know colloquial term colloquially termed uh, red flag laws um related to the state being able to essentially to take someone's firearms and uh incarcerate them if if Someone you know in the community deems that person a threat, or to themselves or others, or you know, would a. I, I guess I'm curious to know if you'd care to share personally where you stand on red flag laws, and if if there is any sort of law that you would consider unjust or unconstitutional to the point where you would consider actually not enforcing the laws.
1: All right, uh, another very slippery slope. I am an absolute supporter of the second amendment it's because of the second amendment that we enjoy the first amendment okay at the same time and and here's where i am with red flag laws uh as they've been described by many i'm i'm absolutely against them but we need to have a public dialogue and and i'll i'll share with you this uh and and we this is a public dialogue that that is a necessity if there were a 17-year-old, or, or let me say a 19-year-old, okay, legal, old enough to be able to possess a firearm, if there were a 19-year-old in our community that had made incoherent statements, you, you've seen them on the Internet from time to time, all Republicans must die. Yeah, Maybe you haven't seen that one, maybe you have. I, I've got a specific one in my head right. where he's on a college campus and he's screaming, he's almost fomenting at the mouth, yeah. all Republicans must die. And that same person runs down and he buys a firearm that afternoon and he's posted things on, on social media that they don't quite rise to the level of breaking of, of breaking the law or committing a crime. But the next day in the newspaper we read that he went into a movie theater and he executed fifteen people before he was subdued. If there were a way that we could stop that from happening, I one I'd be committed to doing whatever it took to legally do so, too, because I believe that we need to have a legitimate discussion. How do we do this, do it right, and protect our law-abiding citizens' rights? My understanding of the way the red flag laws work now, and I've dealt with several sheriff's offices in my current capacity with regards to this, only the sheriff can petition the courts for a... a uh, Protection order. Okay, it can't be just any police officer. It's not based on neighbors or family members coming and testifying before the court. We have laws similar as it relates to a Baker Act, where someone can be put in handcuffs and taken and delivered to a medical facility for for mental evaluation. Uh, under a Baker Act, the only time a police officer can do so, a Baker Act, someone is if they display dangerous behavior in the officer's presence that makes the officer reasonably believe that that person will commit harm to themselves or another, okay? But the family members or the neighbors or the school teachers can go to court and testify before a judge, and if they convince the judge that that person is a candidate for a Baker Act, then the judge will sign the order. It's different with a protection order. With a protection order, the only way it can happen is if the sheriff himself finds that request for the judge to review. I think that's a step in the right direction because it's very, very hard to get. And, and it's intended to be very hard to get. Right. I'm concerned at how many days the firearm can be removed from the person's possession before they get to appear before the, the court. I'm concerned about the legal representation the person is or is not afforded. So I, I think that there's some pros and some cons with what they've tried to do. I'm not in favor of... of The way it's written today, I think that we need to do more, but, uh, but I also don't think that we can summarily dismiss the possibility that we would all want to protect our children, our, our parents, our grandparents in a movie theater, a grocery store, a church, if we had a way of, of predicting the behavior, and and I I realize as I'm saying predicting the behavior, there is no way to predict behavior, but I think you understand what I'm saying. I think most people listening to our interview would understand. I go back to the example I gave you. You got the the man in the town square that's fomenting at the mouth, speaking all Republicans must die, being absolutely crazy in commentary, and everyone would think this guy's got to be out of his mind. And I certainly don't want to be standing near him when, when the fuse goes off. Right. Well, that, that's the type of scenario that we've got to work together and find some reasonable ground to prevent for their safety and ours.
0: Yeah. Agreed. I, I guess my thoughts on that is, is from what I can see and, and, and I've heard other people who are more, you know, or better versed uh, than me on this subject say that, that much of these sort of awful incidents that happen really are tied to mental health issues on the back end. Um, you know, I think most reasonable people would look at the video of that person who, you know, who's shouting all Republicans must die and think there's something, there's some sort of something going on with that person where they need some sort of mental or emotional help, right? I'm not saying that they're completely crazy, but they've clearly got some issues they need to work through. Do you think law enforcement is always the right tool to address those things? Or, or would you be in favor of, you know, obviously there'd have to be a conversation and, and, and flesh it out, but uh, is there... Have you ever given any thought to maybe, you know, mental health resources could also be a a tool or a weapon to combat on the front end uh, some of the things that lead up to gun violence?
1: Well, I'll tell you this. And right now in our society, we're, we're on the cusp of some very sensitive issues. And the decisions that are made are going to either improve or significantly put at risk the safety of our citizens. Uh, I am a firm believer that law enforcement needs to do a better job with mental health. I'm a firm believer that we as a, a civilization need to do a better job with mental health. Uh, as part of my program to, to change the way we do business in the jail, uh, every person that's booked in the jail, I, let, me, let me say this, Uh, And I don't want to get sidetracked, but this is important so that you you can put the whole package together. The majority of the folks in the county jail aren't bad folks. They've just done a bad thing. And 90% of them either have uh, an education deficiency, a mental health problem, or a substance abuse problem. So let's get them, let's address the problem for what the problem is. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's have every person booked in the jail evaluated. And if you don't have a GED in our jail, you're going to get one. If you don't have a a job skill, a life skill, then we're going to give you a life coach or a counselor. We're going to help you get one. We're going to put you to work with our work programs. You're going to be out you know, filling potholes in in the streets. You're going to be out repairing sidewalks. You're going to be out sandblasting and painting our our school buildings and government-owned buildings. You're going to learn how to be an HVAC mechanic, a painter, a plumber, a mason. We're going to teach you a job skill through a public-private partnership and an apprenticeship program so that when you get out of jail, you will have had or received the mental health counseling that you need, the job training that you need so that you can reenter society and be a productive citizen. And if we're only successful with five or 10% of the inmates in the jail, it's five or 10% of the inmates plus their children and their grandchildren that now have a totally different way of life and a different home than what they had before. And now that said, I'm going to come back to on the front end. Listen, I'm a firm believer with, with, uh, parents who call because they've got a, a family member or a son or daughter that is displaying mental health disorders that we need to bring counselors in, but counselors are not the first responder. They may accompany their first responders or come after the fact. Uh, same with, The same with spouse abuse. Uh, I am a firm believer on trying to do everything we can to work with potential victims of spouse abuse through education up front and stop the abuse as quickly as possible and get counselors involved helping these folks, but under controlled circumstances. It's a terrible mistake to think that instead of 911, we call 811 and we send two counselors to the house because a husband and wife are having a fight. You're asking for multiple casualties is what you're asking for. It's a terrible mistake to ask for uh, counselors to respond to someone who's threatening to commit suicide. Now, I, I'm not in favor, I'm not a proponent of suicide by cop. I'm not in favor of law enforcement officers responding to the scene and immediately escalating to, to violence only because a, a knife has been displayed. Although I'm a firm believer that our officers need to be, protect themselves and be supported in protecting themselves. There's a fine line. And, and Training in verbal judo, training in de escalation techniques, and working with your know, mental health counselors internally in the agency with our officers, as well as with, with the citizens that we serve, is crucial to that success. It's been uh, probably 28, 29 years ago, I was a young patrol deputy and I was in this house. A father had called on his daughter. His daughter was middle aged, his middle aged daughter. She couldn't have been five foot tall and probably didn't weigh 120 pounds. Uh, She had a knife in her hand, and she said that she was going to commit suicide. My partner and I entered the room, and uh, we sprayed her with, with OC spray in an attempt to incapacitate her so that we could disarm her and take her to the hospital. She rubbed the spray out of her face and looked us in the eye and said, you're about to make me mad. Well, her father, myself, my partner, we were all gagging in the bedroom because of the spray that was in the air, and it didn't affect her. The last thing in the world I was going to do was to shoot this young lady, and the, and, and, and the only second to, I certainly wasn't going to strike her. So I suggested to the father that he may not want to watch what was going to happen next. So I grabbed a pillow off of the bed in her room and uh, told my partner that I was going to go to the night, and he was going to take her body and we were going to put her on the ground and disarm her. And I did. We did. And we took the, the knife away from her and we took her to a hospital. Now, maybe that was the right thing to do. Maybe it wasn't. It's what I believe was right to do because I didn't want to take her life. Because that's what she was trying to do because of a mental illness already. So I, I'm sensitive to this. You're right that we need to do something more than just send a couple of of armed, well-intended police officers to the scene to finish the job. I don't believe that most police officers respond to those types of calls with the intent to finish the job. But I do believe that there's more we can do in the the sense of training and counseling with our officers and more we can do with the public uh, to help. But but we've got to be honest with the public. Sending a counselor into that scenario while it's live that, that, that's not the best scenario and certainly not if you're going to replace the uniformed officers with the counselor. Uh, then we're just asking for disaster.
0: Yeah. And I think you hear a lot of calls for, you know, things like defund the police. Um, some people really mean like get rid of police altogether and, and, you know, we don't even have time to cover that topic, but, but other folks, and, and, and I can see the logic behind what some folks say, um, you know, they, they want to shift police funding to, Not all of it, but some of it to maybe, you know, including a counselor. Once a uh, domestic situation has been immediately, you know, handled, you have that counselor that's right there. Once everyone has calmed down and there's no more violence at play. Right. You have someone that can immediately offer the other sort of help, because to me, it's the same philosophy as when you talk about uh, the drug problem. Just dealing with the immediate the immediate situation where two people are so frustrated and dealing with issues that they result to violence doesn't actually solve the problem. Putting them in jail doesn't even necessarily yeah. solve the problem, right? So I think it's the same sort of holistic get to the root cause of what's going on that's causing some of these, um, you know, issues between people. And I think also outside of the police that the, you know, there, there should be a way, and I don't even know that government is the right avenue to bring this about, but there should be more uh, access for to counseling and mental health uh resources for people that need it. Right. Um, and I think, you know, in my personal opinion, I'm a, I'm a church going guy. I think that a lot of churches are, are missing the boat. Uh, you know, I think churches should step up and provide funding and resources and programs that help people that, and help them deal with their issues that they have before they get to a point where they commit some sort of act of violence or, or a crime that's going to get them in actual legal trouble. Um, so it's good to hear you say that. And I think that sort of ties into what we touched on a little bit earlier. There is a view uh, in America, and I don't, I don't know, you know, how much this really is relevant to Clay County specifically, but across the U.S., we've seen over the last month, month and a half, that there is a view amongst people that the a lot of the policing and criminal justice system in America is broken, and there are a lot of people in the public who don't trust uh, the police. And I think it's good to hear you talk about the different things that that a police force can do. Uh, to, to sort of rebuild that trust. Is there anything, you know, outside of, of some of the things you talked about? I know you said you wanted to touch on that earlier. Um, you know, outside of the things we've already talked about, are there any additional measures that you would take as sheriff to rebuild or, or strengthen trust between the police and the general populace?
1: Well, for, for the citizens listening or that, that would listen to your podcast, I've been a professional lawman for 32 years. I've been married to the same woman for 33 years and I've served as a lay minister for 34 years of my life. I've been a professional lawman and a public servant my entire life. Never had a mistress, never had a girlfriend outside of marriage. I think that means something. I think the ability to make a promise and live by it, shows something or speak to one's character. I believe that integrity starts within oneself. It's not something that you put on your uniform and wear outside when you go to work and you take it off when you come home. I think the citizens of Clay County deserve a sheriff that understands that. I think that the citizens of Clay County should demand that from all of their elected officials, but especially from their sheriff. The sheriff is, quite frankly, the most powerful constitutional officer in the county, not because of the position or the title, but by the fact that he's got the powers to take away people's constitutional liberties and has an army to enforce it. Every deputy deserves to know that when the sheriff gives them an order to arrest someone, that the sheriff is operating with integrity and operating properly and should never ever question, is that a legal and lawful command? Every citizen in Clay County should shudder to think that the person that they elect, to this position would even consider making a false arrest of a private citizen for any type of personal gain. It's shameful. Unfortunately, I'm probably the only candidate running for sheriff who's ever been tasked with public integrity investigations and actually put handcuffs on police officers and taken them to jail. I'm not proud of that. But I am proud of the work that I've done to make sure that the badge I wear remains polished every day. Because as soon as we begin to Anything less than integrity within our ranks, then we deserve the treatment that we're receiving from from some in the nation who no longer trust us. The only way that we'll ever restore that trust, the only way that we'll ever keep that trust, is to make sure that we do our job in its entirety with nothing less than professional integrity.
0: I think that's good to hear, and I think that's a great way to sort of end things. Uh, you know, I guess I'll just pitch it to you one more time. Um, anything else you want the voters at Clay County to know other than what you just said?
1: The election is August the 18th. Please go to my website, MikeTaylorForSheriff.com. I'm the only candidate who's laid out a strategic plan on how we will reduce violent
0: crime, drug crime, and gang activity.
1: And I ask for your consideration when you vote. August the 18th thank you
0: all right well there you have it folks and I'll tell you the same thing I tell you everyone I tell everyone mr. Taylor uh thanks for coming on the show and I wish you the best of luck at the polls
1: thank you I appreciate you calling yes sir